0: Hello and welcome to the ADHD Mums podcast. Today we have Michelle, who has been supporting people with ADHD since 1995. She started her coaching practice in 2009 and was the first ADHD coach in Australia. She's a faculty member of the ADD Coach Academy in New York and has mentored over 100 ADHD coaches. Michelle works to promote ADHD awareness. She has held board positions for ADHD Australia and the Australian Association of ADHD Professionals. she is a chair of the board at ADHD WA and the member of professional advisory body. In 2017, she co-authored the ADHD Go To Guide with Professor Desiree Silva, which was translated for the Japanese market in 2023. Michelle was awarded an OAM in 2021 for her work in ADHD Congratulations Michelle for everything you've achieved for the industry and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you Jane and thank you for having me I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yeah this is very exciting. I have interviewed the beautiful and you know what the episode went really well with Angie Nanny. Did a great episode on ADHD and burnout and when she mentioned that you were her supervisor and that you were willing to come this podcast I was really excited.
1: Oh well, yeah, me too. So it's great. Thanks for the invitation.
0: One thing that a lot of people have been asking and sending in, and I know we're going to take you right back to to roots. But you know, what is an ADHD coach, and how did it come about as an industry space? ADHD coaching has been around. Well, life coaching or personal coaching
1: started in the nineties, and ADHD coaching grew out of that. So an ADHD coach is someone who you know, really walks alongside a person with ADHD, focusing on their strengths to address any challenges that ADHD may bring along. Very often people are forced to do things the way everyone else expects them to do them. And with coaching, what we do is uncover your way of being in the world that makes you the most successful and enables you to thrive. So that's really how ADHD coaching works. We set some goals, work towards them, meet regularly with our clients, get to know them really well. And ADHD coaching is a partnership. There's, It's not coaches telling you what to do or being the expert because we believe that our clients are the experts on themselves. But what we do is work with them to become their best selves.
0: Oh, fantastic. So, I mean, you started in this industry in 1995, which was – really before there was any exposure or much exposure in this area how did that happen so in 1995 i wasn't coaching
1: 1995 i started my adhd journey i had family members who were diagnosed and like you know anyone with lived experience you go on a journey to find out as much as you can so i started volunteering for this wonderful group adhd wa which i'm now the chair of the board and in that so, I was working in the capacity as a volunteer, helping people, running support groups, and organizing conferences, etc. And so that's really what I was doing. And then on my journey, I decided to go back and study. I did my master's in looking at adults who had not been diagnosed as children, but were diagnosed as adults. And through that, I, in my research, I was learning about ADHD coaching. And I thought, this is a great thing. And when someone gets diagnosed as an adult, they don't have an an ADHD mum to take control of their lives and help them and advocate for them. And I thought coaching was such a a great idea. So after I did my PhD, I went and did some coach training.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. And so what coach training did you do to, I mean, because obviously you were one of the first or the first ADHD coach in the industry. How did that work?
1: Well, coaching has existed in the States for a very long time and has been well-established probably for 20 years or so. What I did was I started doing basic coach training with Coach U in Australia, and then I did my advanced training at ADCA. So I did basic and advanced training, and then I became really passionate about introducing coaching to Australia and asked ADCA if they would work with me to do this so they appointed me to the faculty and I've been teaching there ever since and have now mentored at least 100 coaches in Australia and they I just couldn't be prouder they're just marvelous.
0: Yeah excellent I think one of the questions that a lot of people would be wanting to know what would be the difference between an ADHD coach and you know a, a general psychology session?
1: Well, yes. So, first of all, coaches don't do therapy. Psychologists do therapy. We're not trained to do therapy and we don't try to do therapy. So, one of the important things to know about coaching is that it's not a regulated industry. Anyone can call themselves a coach and many people who aren't qualified do. But people who've been through coach training, and we can talk about how you pick a good coach later if you like, people who've been through extensive coach training know How do you recognize when someone needs therapy rather than coaching? And our work is not therapy. We work that's therapeutic. It makes people feel better because, as I said, we work with them. We set some goals. And really, by the end of coaching, they've come with a greater self-knowledge and really practical strategies that can help them change their lives in the
0: way they wish. Okay. Okay. So that, So, how would you pick a good coach? I think that's a great question, actually.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, you want to be sure that your coach has had proper training and you want to make sure that they have training with an ADHD specialist coach training organization. There is the International Coaching Federation, the ICF. Now, the ICF is a governing body. It was established in 1996. It's got um, a membership of 50,000 people and there are 142 chapters worldwide. So they set a global standard for coaching and they have a code of ethics. So they have accredited coaching providers. So if you go to the International Coaching Federation website, you can check to see that your coach is a member and you know what coaching credentials they have. So you you'd first of all check on their training. The second thing you do is check on their coaching niche, because ADHD coaches have different niches. Some specialize in uni students, some specialize in parent coaching, adults, women who are retiring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you find the coach who specializes in your niche, and then you speak to that coach to see if you think they're someone that you could work with if there's a chemistry between you and you'd like to work with them, and then you sign up.
0: Yeah, great. Okay. And, you know, one thing I'd love to know more about is how does the ADHD coaching kind of interact with the new psychosocial recovery coaching with the NDIS? Are you able to build? How does that work?
1: Oh, well, yes. As you would know, ADHD by itself does not qualify for the NDIS. But many coaches are providing coaching services to people who have NDIS funding and they are able to, to invoice through the NDIS through through several codes. So it certainly is possible to get coaching services through the NDIS. And I would really insist, you know, if you've got a coaching as something in your NDIS package, I would really insist that you have a coach with a relevant qualification a qualified ADHD coach not someone who's been through I don't want to detract from their work at all but if you could choose someone with specialized skills in your area I would really encourage people to do that.
0: And so most ADHD coaches I would imagine have lived experience is that correct?
1: I would say, yes, that would be true. Most ADHD coaches have lived experience and are very passionate about, I would probably say all ADHD coaches that I'm aware of have lived experience in some way within their family.
0: Yeah. And then I think it can be really a very comfortable, safe space when you're talking to somebody who either has ADHD or their family members do. I think that's really valuable to have that level of acceptance where you can, you know, share a lot of different things that you might not be comfortable sharing otherwise?
1: Well, coaching is a very safe space. It's non-judgmental. And another difference between coaching and therapy is that coaches and clients are are partners. There's not a hierarchy, but it's a professional partnership. So we're not their friends, but we are equals and we walk in partnership. So there's a very safe space. We are their, their, their cheerleaders. We celebrate their successes with them because A lot of the successes that people with ADHD have seem like nothing in the neurotypical world. You know, I will sometimes say to my clients, when you get to work on time tomorrow for the first time in a year, text me so that I can celebrate with you, because I know everyone at work is going to be saying, well, about time you got here on time, but I know what a supreme effort that has been for you, and I'm going to celebrate with you.
0: Oh, yeah, that is that is great, actually. That's what this podcast was, was built on. I had a Facebook message group with other neurodiverse women, and we would celebrate each other's small wins that might not seem like a big deal to anybody else, like, oh, got the yellow T-shirt for the kids two days in advance, you know, take a picture of it, send it, because it's stuff like that that, you know, you can have a laugh about, but it does seem like nothing to, you know, to other people possibly.
1: Exactly. And the thing about coaching is very often when people come to ADHD coaching, in fact, I would say 90% of the time, they can't tell you anything that they're good at. They don't know what their strengths are because they've had this ongoing dialogue in their ears about what they're not good at and what they could do better if they tried harder and if they cared hard enough. So people will tell you everything that they can't do well. But as a result of coaching, People become aware of their strengths, step up, become more assertive, ask for the things they need in order to succeed and, and build better relationships with people around them. It's rather magical, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I suppose it's that lived experience too where you can maybe suggest things that that's worked for you or worked for other people that you know. I'm very pro-coaching. I think it's brilliant. So I'm actually really pleased that this industry has come out. I think it really needs to happen. I mean, obviously, you've been in this space well before it was trendy. What do you think has changed over the past kind of 30 years that you've been sitting in this space?
1: Well, a lot has changed, actually. You know, 30 years ago, people who treated ADHD have, were targeted by anti-psychiatry movements and targeted quite brutally At times, and I also have borne the brunt of people, the the anti-psychiatry brigade, where, you know, there have been very influential politicians who are anti-ADHD, who would say awful things under parliamentary privilege about individuals, including me, and doctors who treat ADHD. Doctors who treat ADHD were often shunned by their peers because it was seen as, you know, something that they shouldn't be doing. So these days, ADHD is slowly entering the mainstream. Doctors are no no longer looked down upon by their peers for treating ADHD. And society is coming on side more. There is a lot less stigma as people step out and say, I've got ADHD and I, I want the world to know about it. High profile people who have very moving stories to tell. And last year... The NHMRC adopted the new national guideline that was a huge move because in 2000 it was highly politicized and never adopted and was discarded. So to have that accepted by the NHMRC, and by the way, it includes coaching as a possible treatment modality, was a huge step. So we're stepping into a world that is more ADHD friendly, more neurodivergence friendly. And we just have to be mindful of the new narrative that's starting about, oh, everyone thinks they've got ADHD now. Because we should never ever discount someone's concerns or thoughts that they may have ADHD. It is still underdiagnosed.
0: Yeah, I, I really agree. And I think that's you know one of those questions that I often talk about is how can we make the world more inclusive? I received an email the other day from one of the large aquariums up here. They were talking about their sensory friendly day that they're doing for the school holidays, you know, with the reduced lights, reduced occupancy. And I looked at it and thought, I love that, but can we have more of that please? And why do you have all of the lights and all of the crowding? Could we not just make it so everyone can go any day? you know, rather than putting on the one day. Do you think we'll see more of that moving forward? I absolutely
1: think so. And I do welcome it because, you know, if you make the world a better place for someone who is neurodivergent, you make the world a better place for everyone. Because there are some people who might have some parts of sensitivity, of light sensitivity, or of noise sensitivity, but not might not have a clinical diagnosis. So if we can be inclusive and really build a society that accepts difference and celebrates it, then that helps everyone because everyone's a little bit different. So it, it, it benefits the whole, the whole of society
0: yeah I, I really have to agree with you and i I hope that you know conversations like this start to start to make movements I took my kids to Australia zoo the other day which was probably a bit of a mistake and it was a very intense day with school holidays and I had planned to be in and out fairly quickly but I noticed that they only sold any decent food in one area that was quite a closed area it was obviously extremely busy and I was kind of having that moment of do I leave my kids kind of hungry and pop them in the car or will I take them to the canteen through the sensory overload and try and feed them? What will be the better move? And you know, you're kind of like weighing it up and I'm thinking, no, I need to feed them. I don't think I'm going to get out of here. Anyway, I just, I reflected on it later later on and my little boy had a complete meltdown beyond, 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 which, has scarred me for life I'll be lucky to ever go back to Australia Zoo and they do a great job but I wondered afterwards why do they only sell proper food in one spot why would they not have cafes that that are a little bit more open like open air they're not a small place with lots of food available because they literally, it was a lolly shop or it was the big canteen. There was only two options. And I reflected on it later on and thought, oh, I should have made sandwich. You know how you berate yourself as a mother. I should have made sandwiches. I should have anticipated that. And I thought, well, actually, I wonder if at some point Australia Zoo might look at having a, sa- a couple of satellite cafes to relieve the pressure on that one-man canteen for school holidays. Because it makes it very difficult when you have neurodiverse kids and you neurodiverse yourself to actually just just get some lunch. And I think, you know,
1: as an ADHD population and community, if you provide feedback in a, in a positive way, places are open to making changes. And don't get me started on the judgment. I'm really sorry that your son had a meltdown. And, you know, the judgment that is aimed at, ADHD, you know, parents of ADHD kids and how parents are blamed And bad parenting, well, if they were a better parent, their kid wouldn't behave that way. You know, that has to stop. You know, parenting doesn't cause ADHD. ADHD makes parenting so difficult. And it's really time that society understood that. And if you see a child having a meltdown, ask the mum how you can help. Let the mum know that you're there to support them. You know, keep your judgmental looks to yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that you've said that. It's a journey, a very yeah challenging journey at the moment with with my kids. But yeah, I agree with you. If there's a way that we could change perception, obviously set up activities for kids and and parents that are a little bit a little bit more inclusive, and then be more inclusive in our thoughts and the way we support other mothers. But in fairness, I think that's changing. I've seen changes over the last ten years with that, and i, I hope that I hope that we can only keep keep improving. Mm.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing about ADHD is that the changes that need to be made are not drastic and don't cost millions of dollars. People just don't make them because they think, oh, people with ADHD should just get on with it. They should just get to work on time or they should just get their kids to work on time, to school on time. Why should we bother? But just minor changes can make such a difference in the lives of people with ADHD if people could only be bothered to ask them and to understand how much one little gesture can change someone's life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's really true. One thing I wanted to ask you about was you received an OAM in 2021. That would have been the most incredible moment. What did that mean to you, you know, when you heard it? Yeah, well, when I got the email told me I was getting
1: an OAM, I thought that it was a scam. You know, so I was too scared to open the email in case it was someone who's going to invade my computer and destroy it. Because why would I get an OAM? But when I realized that it was for real, I was absolutely delighted because, of course, I was delighted to be on it. But I was thrilled that ADHD, someone who works in the area of ADHD, was recognized. And so that meant so much to me that the committee could take work in ADHD seriously enough to actually commend someone for for the work they've done. So it was it's very meaningful to me and I'm very proud of it.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult for us to receive any recognition. So for someone to receive recognition for work at that level, I thought was pretty, pretty amazing, to be honest. That wouldn't have been something that I would have thought. The government was open-minded enough to see, but congratulations that they were. I think that's incredible.
1: Well, thank you. Well, you know, ADHD, Western Australia, ADHD, WA, I know we're in WA, but I would really recommend people, you know, have a look at their website because we're the little support group who could. We've survived since 1993 with no funding and worked really hard because of families, mums and dads who've come together and said, We need to change things for our kids with ADHD. And then we had professionals who joined us. So, you know, I've seen firsthand what differences can be made in the world when there are enough people who care. Uh, A small group of committed people can make great changes. So your podcast is doing that as well, Jane, and you're one of those people. So keep going. You know, the, the movement is so important.
0: I think you've touched on it a little bit as well in terms of changing people's uh, mindset around kids behaving differently or not hitting the milestones that they should be or could be or, you know, the best case scenario. I think there's so much to be said for the kids that are left out, not invited, cast aside in some way because they're a little different. And I was actually reflecting with someone recently. My daughter is very good friends with a little boy who has ASD. Sorry, she's friends with the sister of the little boy. And I was reflecting on my heart hu- with my husband saying, I wonder if because she has a sibling that has some needs, she sees the parents behave more inclusively. The messages to her are that, you know, people are a little different. That's okay. And to include everybody. And I noticed that she's one of the only little girls who will be friends with my daughter. And I said to my husband, Imagine if people, if we could actually make people more inclusive as a general movement. How about if you don't need to have a a brother or sister with a disability or special need or whatever it is? How about if we all just communicated like that? Because as parents, what we communicate to our kids is is what our kids are saying to each other, which is so confronting. Mm, Exactly. And parents set the
1: tone. I'm so glad that your daughter has a family who understands her and has inclusive. And, of course, getting back to ADHD coaching, there are several coaches who are qualified family coaches, so they specialize in working with ADHD families. And I think I should mention that I've set up a website, of which is a directory of the qualified coaches in Australia, And I'm very happy to share that link with you, and you can share it on your podcast. But it's a good place to go to see which coaches are qualified, what they specialize in, and and find your coach. Because coaches will work with families to, first of all, upskill the parents in their ADHD-specialized parenting skills. Secondly, help the children with social skills help them to become self-advocates because, first of all, help the parents to advocate for them because not every parent has the skills to be an advocate. You know, you have to be really assertive and you have to be really knowledgeable. And some people find that really challenging. So it can, you know, empower the parents to become advocates. And then along the way, empower the kids to become self-advocates and to see the growth in children with coaching is so powerful. It can help teenagers to plan their their studies so that parents don't have to be on their backs all the time. Improve your relationship because there's someone else that they're working with to learn those skills that you're just trying so desperately to teach them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a real difference between psychologists as well, because I know that a lot of psychologists, you know, they're they're very bound by ethics, which I understand. So, you know, they can only work with one sibling. They can't do marriage counselling and children's therapy. And for an ADHD parent or mum or any parent with a child with disabilities, that can be very inconvenient because that means you have to get separate therapists for each child. You have to get your own one over here. It's more to coordinate. I think an ADHD family coach would have a real place in terms of being able to work with everybody holistically, having different kind of standards that they they don't have to uphold to APRA. That can be a real win because a lot of it is so entwined and if you take it all out separately, you know, you don't get an overall look at it.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's so powerful. Of course, you know, we're bound by ethics as ADHD coaches, but there is a really skillful way of maintaining the confidentiality of each individual and working with a family. And so if I'm working with a teenager and then speaking to his parent the next day. I want to be sure that the teenager is comfortable with what we're going to discuss with his mum. I'm not going to go dobbing. If, he, if there's something that's come up, we're always going to encourage him to tell his parents. But there is that confidentiality that you hold. And holding that family in that space teaches them to communicate better Really strengthens family so much, and it can be done in a very ethical way. And they sign coaching contracts about the different, you know, the the aspects of confidentiality that apply.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I I think that can be really helpful coordinating therapy and therapy fatigue. I think is a really large issue for ADHD mums. You know, looking after yourself and then the needs of your children, significant other, you know talk about people spreading themselves thin. It doesn't get much thinner in my opinion. You know, you're left with nothing at the end of most days. That's the feedback I get from others. And that's how I feel myself. What would be, a lot of the people that are listening to this are newly diagnosed. What would be, you know, a a message or some messages to those people who are newly diagnosed, who are hit with just overwhelm?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, Welcome to the tribe. What a wonderful tribe to belong to. I haven't yet met an ADHD brain that I don't love. Secondly, be kind to yourself. When you're diagnosed as an adult, there's often a grieving process that you go through. So be gentle with yourself. Ease yourself through that process. Surround yourself with people who love you and understand you. Resist the urge to tell everyone. Because if someone doesn't understand, then they're going to start trying to convince you that you don't have ADHD. So tell trusted people, people who get you and understand you. And then quieten that crit- critical voice in your ear because, you know, there's, as I, I spoke earlier about that constant diet, that constant monologue of how are you not good enough in your ear, and that becomes your, an inner dialogue. So switch that off become more compassionate to yourself and start to learn absolutely everything you can about ADHD, educate yourself and get yourself an ADHD coach.
0: Yeah, a lot of people talk about being a little bit more compassionate. You know, I, that has been a theme that a lot of people have said that they can, if you can be a little bit more compassionate to yourself, that makes a big difference. And I didn't realize how many Maybe it's like most of the critics in the world live within ADHD brains. It seems to be a very, very hard on yourself, you know, highly critical population, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's so wonderful to be, as you said, in this community, because going back to your daughter and the family who's accepting of her, what I, one of the things I love about working in the ADHD community is if I mess up, nobody judges me. So it's just, that's okay, Michelle. We know what it's like to mess up and be judged. So welcome to the club. And I find that that compassion that people with ADHD show to others and that huge empathy that they extend to others is is so commendable.
0: Just remember to extend it to yourself. Oh, that's a beautiful message. Well, look, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. You've just been a wealth of knowledge and I really congratulate The hard work that you've done, I think, without people like yourself doing the groundwork since, you know, 1995, we wouldn't be in the place that we're in now on this podcast, talking openly. So it's only because of the hard work of people like yourself that we've gotten here. So I really appreciate everything you've done.
1: You're welcome. And I appreciate the work you do, Jane. I just love people stepping up, putting their head above the parapet, and say, I will be counted and I will be a voice. So thank you for being the voice of people with ADHD.
0: Oh, no worries. Look, I do this for the kids because I'm hoping that next generation will be better, is what I'm hoping. And I think if we educate the parents to be more inclusive, I I think in my personal opinion, that's going to be a massive key. And when I look around and I see what my kids go through, I'm thinking, I think the parents, I think we've got to get to more parents. And so I'm hoping that this podcast can do that. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Look forward to hearing it.